Well, good morning, church. It's always a blessing for us to be together. This is week two in a new sermon series that we're calling The Words You Long to Hear. We talked last week about this, this truth, and, and it, it's kind of hard to hold on to this truth, both, both ends of the extreme at the same time, but it is true, and that is that while every single person on this planet is unique and different, there are some basic longings, some basic things that drive us, that we share with millions, maybe perhaps billions of other people on the planet. And, and we kind of talked about this idea of, of through the centuries, Christians have, in, in times of spiritual formation and trying to, to lead one another closer to the heart of God, they, they've used these nine different approaches to talking about these basic needs we have. It's called the Enneagram, and Holly Rock is actually teaching a class on it on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. And so if that's something you want to learn more about in greater detail, I want to encourage you to be a part of that class. And we're not going into all the, the dynamics of that, but we are talking about, okay, which one of these needs do you relate to the most? You look at that, that list, and there's going to be part of you that might relate to almost all of them, maybe all of them. But one of these is the unique obsession of your interior life. Last week, we talked about the first one, the need to be perfect. And I confess to you that that's, that's mine. I relate to all of these, but that one's mine. In fact, do you see on the edge of this projector where there's a blue line where the, the display is not going quite all the way over? You guys see that over here? That's been bugging me all morning. And if I'm not careful, that'll get in my way of worshiping God, right? That, that me noticing that something's imperfect, that's something that just, it, it kind of, it gets me up in the morning, as depressing as that sounds, my need to, to perfect things, my need to try to be perfect. And that gets in the way of my relationship with other people and with God because I wasn't created to be perfect. You weren't created to be perfect. We were created to be good, and that's different. Well, today we're going to look at, at number two, the need to be needed. And while it's not my unique struggle, it's right next door. And so as I've thought about it this week, I've, I've really resonated with, with some of the things that so many of us, those of us who are driven by this need to be needed. Now, I want to start with an image that is a little dated. In fact, this movie came out in 1996. I'm in no way suggesting that you go right out and watch Jerry Maguire, but if you've ever seen it, you may remember the words that Jerry, or Tom, speaks in this moment, in this movie. Can anybody say it out loud for me? Yeah. I knew somebody was going to know exactly what he said. You complete me. She says you had me at hello. Hello. But he says, you complete me. And if that phrase is a phrase that you would love to hear from all the people in your life, not just one needy guy standing on your doorstep, but everybody in your life saying some version of the words, you complete me, then this might be that obsession that you relate to the most. 
Another way to think of it is you are, are constantly living with this voice inside your head. Not, not an inner critic that's constantly telling you that you could do better and that there's these slight flaws that you have that you need to focus on, but a voice that says, I need you to need me. In all of your relationships, and all the people that you're, you're interacting with, this is the voice you keep hearing And in some way or another, you keep saying this to those people through your actions and maybe even at times through your words. I need you to need me. You know, I I think all of us have a basic understanding that in our world, many of our relationships are transactional. That, That many of our friendships Many of the people that we're around at work, many of the people that we, we spend our free time with, and not just our friendships, sometimes our, our family relationships, and, and sometimes even our marriages, feel transactional. It feels like we're in this relationship because of what you're able to do for me, because of how your behavior makes me feel. And if at any point you stop making me feel these positive things, I might walk away from you. I might be done with this marriage. I might be done with this friendship. I might be done spending time with you. I have things that I need you to do for me, and if you don't keep doing those exact things for me, this could all be over. So many of the relationships in our lives feel like they're kind of built on that transactional arrangement. And it's not just our relationships with other people in our lives. If we're not careful, we can start to feel like our relationship with God is transactional. That we are only valuable to God based on how useful to God we can be. Because we learn how to relate to God in large part. It's reflected on how we learn to relate to one another. And if, if you grew up in a house where, for one reason or another, you felt like the love you were receiving was conditional, if you were treated differently when you won than when you lost, if, if you felt like people were happier with you when you did everything they wanted, like, like you could almost read their minds, like you could figure out what they needed before they figured it out, and that's what really made you a key part of your family. If you carry any of that baggage, you don't have to have to be someone for whom this is your, your only obsession for you to understand it, for you to have some sense of what it's like to constantly feel like I'm only as valuable to someone else as I am useful. And when that starts to creep into your relationship with God, it is almost impossible to rest in his presence What you want to do is get into God's presence and start listing all the things you're doing for God and all the things you're willing to do for God and all the things you're trying to do for God. And and you hope that if God's paying attention to all of that, then God will see you in a better light. But that, that's an interaction with God that you can never actually win. Because there's always something else you could do. There's always someone else you should be helping. There's always some, some problem that people are dealing with that, that you want to be the one who could ride in on the white horse and save them from it. And so as good as it feels at times to have someone look at you, and, and again, 
you know, there's, there's upsides to every one of these ways of viewing the world and viewing other people. There's downsides. There's struggles. And the upside is you really are helpful to people. The downside is you need to hear them one way or another say to you, you complete me. I need you. I don't know where I'd be without you. I don't, I don't know how I could keep going without you, right? We, there are times when that's the absolute truth in our relationships, but if that's how it always has to be, at some point, the people in your life who mean the most to you are going to let you down. Because as much as there are times when we all need one another, we don't desperately need one other person every second of every day. And if we happen to interact with someone who needs to be needed in a moment where, you know, things are going okay and we've got our basic needs are pretty much covered and we just want to spend time with them. We find they keep asking, is there something I can do for you? And sometimes they don't ask. They jump to a conclusion that they know exactly what you need. And here's the struggle. Once we start helping people out of a need to be needed, there's strings attached. There's strings attached to the help we're providing. Have you ever had somebody help you without you asking and you, you start to feel like you owe them? They don't have to say the words. It's the way they start to watch you. Now, I'll, I'll never forget one of the most stressful things in my life growing up was that whether it was your birthday or Christmas, my mother's favorite thing to do was to stop the whole house and watch you open your present. And I don't think there was a time in my entire life when I responded at a high enough level for what my mother was hoping when she bought whatever that was and wrapped it up and I could feel the pressure to pretend that this t-shirt was gonna change my life. (laughs) And I couldn't pull it off And I would be saying, thank you for the t-shirt. This is a great t-shirt, mom. And she'd be just dejected saying, you know, we can take it back. I know it's not what you would have picked. I'm just going to give you money next year. That's, I, right? The, the, The opening line when my mother was really disappointed in me because I wasn't responding, you know, with enough gratefulness or thankfulness to something she had done for me. She opened that sentence with, and it started out as a serious sentence in my childhood and it became a joke where my father or my sisters would whisper it to me before she even said it. You know, I went through 16 hours of labor for you. How do you, how do you beat that? And I remember there was a part of me that said, I didn't ask you to do that. I mean, I'm thankful that you did. And she's gotten to a point she can laugh at it too. But there were times when I felt that pressure. And we can get to the place where we're we're not just trying to help everybody else. We're actually trying to convince ourselves that we're helpful to God. We're useful to God. And that's why we're valuable. David, King David, you know, he goes through his life and he's... He has all these ups and downs and victories and and struggles. And through it all, God has been with him. And he gets to this place in his life where where things are going really well. And he's in this palace. And he feels good about where he is. And he, he starts to think about God. And he starts to be overwhelmed with the sense of what he can do for God. 
He wants to build God a temple. God doesn't have a temple yet, and he thinks that that's what God is missing. That's what God really wants. So he decides that's what he's going to do, and he ends up telling Nathan about it, you know, and he says, uh, you know, Nathan, I, I, I want to build a house for God that's at least as nice as my house. I mean, don't you think he deserves that? And Nathan says, yeah, you know what? That's a great idea. You go ahead and do that. And then the bummer is that that night while he's sleeping, Nathan has a dream where God says, uh, I, didn't, I didn't ask for that. That's not how this is going to work. That's not how my relationship with David's going to work. So let's read together in 2 Samuel, starting in verse 7. This is what, I'm sorry, starting in verse 5. This is what the Lord says. You are not the one to build a temple for me to live in. Throughout my traveling around with the Israelites, did I ever ask any of Israel's tribal leaders I appointed to shepherd my people, why haven't you built me a cedar temple? This is what the Lord of heavenly forces says. I took you from the pasture, from following a, a, a flock of sheep, right? To be leader over my people Israel. I've been with you wherever you've gone, and I've eliminated all of your enemies before you, and it keeps going. And God basically is saying, David, I want to be real clear about this. I don't need you. You need me. And that's how it works. Now, if David can get to a place of confusion where he's trying to prove to God how devoted he is, how, how valuable he is to the kingdom based on what he can do for God, I have to believe that there's many people in this room who've been in that same place in their relationship with God. And the, the series is called The Words You Long to Hear, but it's not called The Words You Expect to Hear because there's a difference. We're longing to hear something often from God that we don't even know to expect. Last week I said, you know, if, if, I, if my, my need is to be perfect, then what I'm hoping God will say to me is, Jared, you are perfect. God doesn't say that to me. The gospel doesn't remind me of that truth. The gospel says to me, no, you're good. And this week, it's not that God's going to say, you know what, you complete me. That's not what God's going to say. God's not going to say, I need you desperately. God's going to say this instead. You are wanted. Not after you meet needs, but before and during and after. That the non-negotiable, unconditional relationship of God that we have, relationship with God that we have, is that at the very beginning, we're told we're good and we're wanted. And there's nothing we can do about it. And it's so important that we don't attach this idea of being wanted in, in a relationship based on what we bring to the relationship. Because as long as it's that tenuous, as long as it's that fragile, we, we're constantly afraid that we're the wrong try away from meeting a need and then failing to meet the need and then it's, we're going to be alone. Or, or we're going to disappoint God to the point where God says, you know what, I, I really don't want to have a relationship with you anymore. I know how ridiculous that sounds. 
But I think it's still how so many of us feel about not only our relationship with God, but everybody else, that it's always just hanging by a thread. What would it, what would it mean if we could get to the place of believing that before we do anything to help anyone, we're wanted? I want to read a story that in some ways is, I think, it's used so often in so many different Bible classes and sermons that we, we almost go to sleep on it. And I don't want that to happen this morning, but let's read it together in light of this kind of obsession. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. While Jesus and his disciples were traveling, Jesus entered a village where a woman named Martha welcomed him as a guest. She had a sister named Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his message. By contrast, Martha was preoccupied with getting everything ready for their meal. So Martha came to him and said, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to prepare the table all by myself? Tell her to help me. The Lord answered, Martha. Now I think he has to say her name twice because she's already going outside of the room to work. He's trying to slow her down enough to actually hear it. Martha. Hey, 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 Martha, you are worried and distracted by many things, but only one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it won't be taken away from her. This story, I think, helps us understand if we're somebody who who constantly is striving to remind everyone in our lives just how much they need us, People who are uncomfortable with the idea that God would just want to be with them and not ask anything of them, just be with them. This story helps set us straight. It helps us hear the truth again that the gospel means that God wants a relationship with us more than God wants anything else from us. And I want you to ask yourself this question, right? How would your life change if you learned how to trust that God really does want to be with you more than God wants you to do something for God? Now, I realize every time we talk about these, there's a a part inside of us that wants to push back. Because we can go to places in Scripture that seem to argue a different side of this same issue. So, so maybe you're thinking, yeah, but Jared, what about all the places where Paul talks about the church being this community where we meet one another's needs and we serve one another in Christ's name and, and we, we're actually different parts of the body and so we have these unique ways that we can help one another and, and that's, that's absolutely in scripture and it's absolutely true. Here's the tricky part about all this. That help that Paul's talking about, that service, that, that attempt to try to be there for somebody in a, in a special way, it has to flow from the conviction that regardless of how well you're able to help, you're still wanted. If you forget that, if you skip over the truth that God wants a relationship with you first and during and after you help or you're useful, 
If, if what you do is you say, well, no, I'm going to turn it over, that what God wants for me first is for me to be helpful and to do things like Jesus did for other people, then God will want to have a relationship with me. If you get that turned upside down and inside out, your behavior not, may not look that different from anybody else at church who's trying to serve and help but you're going to be running on a treadmill that you just can't keep up with and eventually you're going to crash and burn and you're going to be done because we're not going to thank you enough. We're not going to thank you in in enough ways that really mean enough to you. We won't recognize it enough and you'll start to feel like you're helping and you're invisible and you'll realize that the whole reason you started helping in the first place was so that you'd be visible. Right? Do you see how you set a trap for yourself? You don't even know it. And yet we get to this place where we think the whole reason for our relationship with God is what we bring to the table, what we're able to do, how we're able to help. And we don't realize that what that really means underneath it all is we don't actually think we need the gospel, we just think we need to be better at helping. And if we could just crack that code, if we can just get to that place then we'll be fulfilled and everyone around us will love us and, and they'll thank us for being able to read their minds and doing what they need the most and then eventually they'll all start to treat us in that same exact way and we'll all be happy and helpful forever. Problem is, church is not filled with perfect people. It's filled with real people who sometimes say thank you and other times don't even notice you've helped. And if you're trying to get that assurance from your human relationships, you will choke every relationship you have trying to get them to say, thank you, you I need you so much. I don't know who I'd be without you. And if, not, if anybody ever fails to do that, you'll start to doubt who you are. And I, I don't know about you, but when I start accidentally treating people that way, and again, this is not, this is not my obsession the way that it may be someone else's obsession in this room, but I get it. I, I've had moments in my life where I realize after the fact that I helped somebody with major expectations of how they would receive that help and how they would treat me in light of that help and, and that it would somehow make me feel better about who I am at the core of who I am. And then they, they don't know that because it's awkward to tell somebody, hey, I'm helping you here, but you better make me feel really good about myself afterwards. So you don't say that, and they may have so much going on in their life, they don't think to say it. They don't, they don't have the space to, to repay you the way you want to be repaid. See, because there are times when we're afraid that relationships are transactional, and if we can't keep meeting people's needs, they may be done with us. But see, if that's how we view the world, then eventually we get to the place where we've been helping so many people in so many ways and we're not getting enough back in return that we start to be done with them. So this story that we've heard many times from Luke 10, you know, it's always fun to read it and pretend you're Mary and shake your head at this overworked Martha and be thankful that you're not like Martha or if you do feel like you're, you're, you're like Martha, you kind of say it in a lower voice apologetically. Here's the thing. There's absolutely nothing wrong with Martha seeing Jesus and his disciples and deciding, you know what they could use? They could use a place to stay and eat and have a good meal. And that's, that's a wonderful gift that she could give to Jesus. 
Now, I will point out, Jesus didn't ask Martha to do that, right? But she, she jumps to the conclusion that anybody who's traveling like Jesus and having to be, you know, on the road and, and is probably tired, that this would be a blessing to him. This would be helpful to him. And I, I think what's wrapped up in it, though, is her, her assumption that unless she does something for Jesus, he has no interest in being with her. So she's got to get everything right and in place. And there's so much to do, she can't do it on her own. This is one of the few times in the entire New Testament where someone looks straight at Jesus and tells him what to do. But if you decide that only Martha could, could get to that place, I think we're struggling with being honest with ourselves because we get to these points of desperation where we're working ourselves like crazy and we don't have any space to just be. And we start to get anxious enough to start telling God, look, hey, I need this person to do this for me in our prayer lives, right? I need you to do this. Take, make this happen. She says, make Mary help me. Now listen, we've all, in a moment of trying to get our house ready for company, while someone else has their feet up on the coffee table, you know, you're vacuuming and they're making more crumbs with the chips they're eating, We've all been to the place of saying, hey, it's not fair. We all have to, to chip in here. But what Jesus is trying to get Martha to see is she doesn't have to get her house in perfect condition to host somebody over. Right? Do you see how these overlap some? She doesn't have to do that for Jesus to want to spend time with her. Mary understands that the best gift that she can give Jesus is her presence and her attention, that that's enough because he wants to be with Mary and he wants to be with Martha. And he says to Martha, and I love that he says her name twice because I think he's really trying to get through to her to say, this isn't, Mary's not different from you in ways that you should feel bad about. I want you to come and sit with Mary because Mary's sitting with me. Just calm down. You know, we, we can pitch in together and pull this meal off when I'm done teaching. Just come sit down with me. I want to be with you. And for those of you in this room who struggle with this obsession, this driving need to be needed, I want you to really live with this question this week. How would your life change if you learned how to trust that God really does want to be with you more than God wants you to do something specific for God. And then he'll decide after you do it whether or not he still wants to be in a relationship with you. That's not how this works. You, you belong with God. You are welcomed by God. And if you let your own anxiety about trying to prove how valuable you are to God because of what you're able to do, you will turn to other relationships. You'll mess up other relationships trying to get ordinary, imperfect human beings to try to stand in for God. And they'll feel that they're disappointing you and they will pull away. God is the starting place. God is the foundational relationship that then frees us up to say, you know what? I am wanted. 
and I belong in this family, I belong in this marriage, I belong in this church, and I see needs that are popping up all over the place, and I'm going to ask myself how I can be a part of meeting those needs, but that doesn't define my, my value and my worth, because before I do anything to help, I am wanted. That God desires us, and in that relationship turns us into people who love to serve and love to help and love to be there for people. But we don't find our sense of identity from how those people interact with us in response. We come back time and again to the heart of God. And we find that he's always happy to see us. I think one of the the struggles is it's one thing to talk flippantly about the busyness in our world and distractions in our world. And I'm not saying that the Mullins were talking in flippant ways about distractions. Although, Rebecca, I'm glad to hear that, that my kids are not the only kids who bark sometimes. <laughs> I, I think it's easy for us, and, and I'm going to confess this as someone who's Right, who goes to church, who works for church, who's always at church, my whole life's church. I can get to the place where it's really difficult for me to stop trying to prove my value to God through what I'm able to do and just be with God. That I fill my days, my calendar, my, my hours with serving Jesus in the name of Jesus and trying my best to be faithful in all of those things. And not only to be faithful, but because of that obsession I have with perfection, to do it without making any mistakes. And so, again, I'm setting a trap for myself. None of you have to do it for me. I set it for myself, and I start to think that I need to work from from before sunup to after sundown on doing things for God's people that everybody desperately needs me to do. But, but the, the struggle is if I'm doing that to you, at some point you're going to realize that I'm codependent in this whole relationship thing between me and the church. And, and I need the church to need me. And once I get to that place, I'm going to do things that aren't helpful to you, that don't actually serve you in the ways you need to be served. Because I'm not creating space in my life to come back to the the center, to come back to the foundation to say, I'm not preaching to prove that I can do something that you need me to do so that you'll see me in a way that makes me feel valuable. I am preaching every Sunday because I have a a love with, with God and God has this love with me where I know that before I say anything, I'm good and I'm wanted. Now, if I, if I preach from that place, you'll notice it. You may not be able to put your finger on it, but you'll notice the difference because I'm not trying to choke the right kind of sermon compliment out of you in the lobby. I'll simply trust that because God says I'm good and God says I'm wanted, that now I have the confidence to try my best and trust that God will use it in ways that only God can use it because ultimately I can't really help you. God can help you through me. 
You're good and you're wanted. And I want you this week to think through with all these opportunities, you have all the time to fill your schedule with stuff to to do for God. I want you to carve out time every single day to just be with God. And don't fill it up by telling God all the great things you've tried to do for him. Just be with him. And, And try to find a way to be comfortable in your own skin in God's presence. Because God knows every good and bad thing about you and loves you anyway. You don't have to pretend. You don't have to prove your worth. You just have to be there. I want to leave you with these words from Matthew 11. Jesus says, come to me once you've proven that you can serve me. Oh, wait, no. (laughs) Come to me, all of you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke and learn from me, for I'm gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. Come to me first and rest in my presence and then I'll teach you how to help other people without losing yourself. Come to me and rest in my presence and learn from me and I'll I'll teach you how to be there for people without losing yourself. You are wanted. Hold on to that truth this week. Act out of that truth this week. And I promise you, it'll be different. We're going to sing together now. And as we do, I want you to focus your heart and your spirit and your soul on the truth that our relationship with God is something that God creates and maintains and invites us into And even if we've gotten confused and even if we've started to think that it's all dependent on us, every single day we have the opportunity to choose again to believe that God loves us without condition, that God loves us without limits, and that can change everything about who we are and who we long to be. Would you stand with me as we sing together now?